I'm a big fan of being open and willing to change. I think you should evolve as time goes on. Roll with those changes. I'm having a great time talking with people that not only have wonderful information for our community, students in particular, be that here's a resource or here's a path you could take, but who also have a story to tell. And I like stories. Speaking of which, I got to sit down with Nicholas Hodge for the first time in quite a while. And I think there's something for everybody in this episode. If you ever felt like you were presenting a version of yourself to other people that's not really you, if you ever felt out of place coming into a new environment, or if you just like apples, but especially for the transfer students, there's a lot of info here for you. I should say a bit of a content warning on this one that I probably should have mentioned before the last episode. There is some discussion of loss. And I have this sneaking suspicion that the first three episodes of season three equal the length of the entirety of season two. Oh, and we had to switch producers about three quarters of the way through. So you'll hear the reality of recording an unscripted live podcast. So, in keeping with the newly created tradition of giving you the full, unedited conversation, I present my nearly hour-long but very entertaining chat with Nicholas Hodge, director of the Transfer Student Center, now with free printing. Enjoy. I'm Dr. Ryan Strait, assistant professor of educational technology at the University of Arizona, and this is the new professor. Which is kind of, I know it's stupid, but... Well, no, that um, that's, would be the best way to make money ever. <laughs> it really would. But uh, there's, a, there's a YouTube channel called uh, Booth Junkie. Oh. And it's a guy named Mike Delgadio, which is a great example of nominative determinism because his last name literally has the word audio. Yeah. In it. It's spelled A-U-D-I-O. That's that. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I've been watching his because I just, I'm, I'm kind of doing a home studio in my office because the way I figure it, my students have to listen to me all the time. Right. And they have to see me all the time. So the least I can do is not look and sound horrible. But I think that's a reasonable Yeah, so goal. I got like a you know, really nice condenser mic. And yes, you're doing it for your students. Stuff. What a good that's man. That's how I, I can justify <laughs> it. That's how, I, that's how I explained it to the wife anyway. <laughs> Ryan Saint should be the new name instead yeah, right. of Ryan Street. <laughs> so, but listening to his... I keep clicking the chair. Um... On his channel, he mentions that. He's like, you need to stay hydrated. And it's kind of, it, it, made, me, it made me realize that it's a little bit backwards because you would think that you don't want your mouth to be overly like, wet because yeah. you hear all those Thank you, you for know, not mouth using sounds. the M word. No, I don't like that word either. Um, but apparently he's like, you know, stay super hydrated. 
because that's that's a lack of hydration. Oh, uh, that makes sense. And I'm like, you know, professional voiceover actor. If he says that, then that's I gotta believe it. Yeah. Well, and I deeply, deeply adore NPR, which is why I enjoy making fun of them. Like I joke that Ophelia Kostarkin is the only one worth a damn in terms of their voices, because <laughs> she's always like Ophelia Kostarkin. <laughs> like, damn, she's awesome. And then you get Michelle Norton, who's like, on today's show. Yeah. <laughs> It, it does Not sound like a super gross. I should. I want to have a job imitating NPR people. <laughs> That's my one of my favorite stories is when I called NPR on Valentine's Day and I got hold of. Um, oh my god, I'm totally drawing his blank. He was. I'm totally drawing a blank, but he's a really famous guy in NPR, and I was super had a hardcore crush on him. Like a 70 year old guy, by the way. And I called into NPR on Valentine's Day to his show, Talk of the Nation. He did Talk of the there Nation. You're right. It's too early. I, this is my first cup of coffee. Anyway, I got to talk. I got <laughs> through and I got to talk to him. And I'm like, I launch Aww. into, oh, my God, I can't believe Because it was a show about the catharsis of crying. And it's my my dad also died when I was young. And mm. I was talking about the catharsis of crying over the loss of my dad, mm. blah, blah, blah. But before I got in there, I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm getting to talk to you on Valentine's Day. You're my favorite, blah, blah, blah. And he's like... <laughs> And your comment is. (laughs) (laughs) That was my comment. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And your name for the search warrant or the the restraining order? (laughs) Mr. Nicholas. We should probably start. (laughs) Oh, we've been, we started. Oh, we started. Oh, great. (laughs) But speaking of of NPR and and Terry, you mentioned Terry Gross. Terry Gross. uh, Whisper makes whisper pants. Yes. (laughs) But I, my podcast hero is... Mark Maron. Yes, no, I, so yeah, he's I, my everybody's like glow in the dark yeah. hall pass. But I, I found out that um, when Terry Gross wanted to be interviewed, because Terry is you know the interviewer, right? Period, She's period, she is amazing period. for the record. It, it come from a place of love, exactly. And the the only person she said she wouldn't do it unless Mark Maron was the one to interview her. So she's like, I'm not going to do it unless it's him. And I haven't listened to it yet. But I was I really, like, really does that happen? <laughs> yeah, it totally happened. Oh my god! And do you watch um, Glow? Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, I love Glow. Have you watched? Uh, is, I think it's Easy, the series on Netflix. Yeah, it's I haven't Easy. Gotten to that one yet. Uh, it's so like I would don't. I always tell people don't watch it without me telling you what episodes to watch and what episodes <laughs> to avoid because some of them are good and some of them aren't. Some of them are like wow. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's and he's just. I mean, he's Mark Maron. He's Mark Maron and everything he yeah. does. So I'm convinced he's brilliant. I know that's. But he's literally <laughs> just being himself. That's what I love about it, though. <laughs> yeah. Like, and but it's it's. I was thinking, like, I, I want to emulate him. I don't want to steal it because right. it, I wouldn't be able to. Yeah. You can't do that. Yeah. yeah. But I'm like, you know, he starts off with talking about the cat drama and yeah. all this stuff, and he <laughs> makes himself very vulnerable, and I'm like, I'm not. I don't think I'm there yet. <laughs> I'm, well, not, I'm not sure. I can talk about the dogs, but it's going to mostly be the fact that Chewie got my pants wet with his slobber or something. Like, <laughs> there's really no drama. But Well, yeah, that's what I love about him is that he's so, he's such a, like, he's really good at being this hot curmudgeon, <laughs> you know, but then like that's his beauty in the shows he does too, is that like when he's vulnerable, you also believe him because mm. he's still curmudgeonly and kind of not likable in his vulnerability, which makes you be like, oh, I extra like you now. Whatever. Yeah. He's, he does have a talent with that. He is the best. And I feel like he kind of just like 
There was the world. There was a world with no Mark Maron, and then suddenly there was a world with Mark Maron, and everybody was like, "Holy shit, Mark Maron!" <laughs> yeah, oh, exactly. sorry. Oh, feel free. Is that okay? okay. <laughs> it's encouraged. Or maybe that was just me. But I was like, <laughs> "Who is this guy?" Now I need to know everything about him. And then I did my I like I do my own sort of personal doxing of <laughs> what corners of the world do you exist in that I haven't discovered yet, and cover all my bases. And you did the same thing with him and called him up and. Oh my God, I, I didn't. Love you so much. I haven't creeped him out yet. That's you know well, Neil Conan. <sighs> <laughs> Neil Conan. Well, speaking of knowing everything about okay, somebody, sorry. Let's, why don't you go ahead? And <laughs> Actually, start. Yeah, well, and, yeah, introduce yourself. Oh God. Okay. I'm Nicholas Hodge. Yes. Can I stop there? Yes, you can. Okay. If you like. Uh, I'm Nicholas Hodge. I'm the director of the Transfer Student Center at the U of A. Uh, I've been at the U of A for 13 years. I'm in higher ed junkie, <laughs> um, but also apparently popular culture. Um, yeah. I guess that's probably all you need to know about me. I'm from Kansas. <laughs> Oh, well, that's, you should have left. That's a very important. I'm not burying the lead. Because I will sort of, I sort of, the starting point of the scale of how I judge you is, are you from the Midwest? <laughs> so you start with 100 points, and then I knock points off for various geographic attributes or, and other things. Ironic for the director of the transfer center. It's a really common thing, too. When you meet people from the Midwest, they'll be like, oh, uh, you're from the Midwest. Like, we're this monolithic existence of humans, and we're all 100% alike, except when we start talking about politics. And we're like, no, 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 that's not my Midwest. <laughs> hey, I'm from Ohio. I, I know you're exactly from what you the mean. Midwest! Absolutely. Yay. You can't it's, tell. With my <laughs> it's funny, because I didn't consider Ohio. I've talked to other friends about this. I didn't consider Ohio the Midwest until I moved to Massachusetts, mm -hmm. and then people would self-identify as being from Ohio, a.k.a. the Midwest, and mm -hmm. I'm like... No, I it's, mean, yeah, it's, it's cornfields as I'm far from as you can Kansas. See. That's not totally the Midwest, but it is middle. <laughs> yes, it's more. But you can't more say middle, Mideast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't. That would be too confusing. That would be bad. So, <laughs> Ohio is the Mideast. <laughs> so we, we, our paths have crossed in a number of different ways. Yeah, that's the U of A. And we kept finding out. <laughs> <laughs> we. Uh, when I first started working at the U, it was at UITS, and I, I right. think I've mentioned that before. Yep. And that's where we met. Yep, because you were on the training team. Yeah. Yeah. The notorious workshops wow. and training team. <laughs> you, got, you kept the third floor interesting, at least. We kept it loud. Were you guys the ones responsible for the don't go alone, take a, don't, what was the Han Solo thing? Was that you or was that Patrick? Did it's, you ever see that thing? It's dangerous to go alone, take, take this? A, yeah, and a little Han Solo pull aparts like, don't go, no, it was don't go solo, take a Wookiee. And there was like little Chewbacca's <laughs> that you could pull. No, I did, I would put up a bunch of memes though. I did like walking in a winter wonderland with Christopher Walken and Nice, snow yes, 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 I remember that one too. Yeah. yeah. No, that was, well, I mean, Patrick did it. He was, cause they all moved downstairs. Patrick was the guy that put the desk in the elevator that one day too. Yeah. And then yeah. rode it all day. <laughs> We got a lot of work done. If you yeah, I was going to say, part of me was like, this is amusing. The other part is like, do you not have meetings? <laughs> Why am I the only one in meetings all day? Oh, leaning away from the mic, sorry. Incredibly irresponsible. Nah. <laughs> but we had a good time. It's IT. That's why I love, I, I miss and loved working in IT for that reason. It it's is. Just the tapestry of humans is perfect. <laughs> it's a different group of people. A hundred percent. For sure. And IT and higher ed is its own sort of subgenre of wonderfulness. Because those dudes, and ladies and dudes, could just, you know, be making tw mm. at least twice as much in the public sector. So they're just like, it's funny, it's the, I used to talk to my team about this too, is that, you know, we sort of always think of the people on campus that are doing good work too. You know, the faculty and even the administrators and us kids in enrollment management now that are so obviously here because we're passionate and committed mm. to the students and it's, it's its own lifestyle that has pluses and minuses. And the, but the underpinning of that all is our IT people who are just as passionate 
and just as devoted, just further away from the sort of the, I apologize, product, you know, in terms of students. <laughs> and so it's just like, I, I feel like it's kind of the kind of the silent, mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't I can't find the right metaphor, but you see where I'm going with that. They're the uh, base. Yeah, I mean, the, everything the base we do, of the tower. what we're doing right now is because of technology and, mm-hmm. and the fun people that put funny memes on their cubes that nobody <laughs> knows they exist. You know, it's because of them. So I like sort of shining a giant spotlight on them, which they love. Oh, yeah. Those people love that. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yes, please, more attention. Everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing on this campus in terms of that. I get that. But at the same time, like, that, that is my favorite part. Higher ed IT people are my favorite people because they are... It's that sort of mixed message of like, they get it, they're a part of it, they're here because they are, you know, absorbed in the culture. And it's not necessarily, I don't want to apl- assign to them that they're all passionate about the, you know, path of the student. I'm, <laughs> I'm not that naive, but, you know, they're doing it for a reason. Mm-hmm. So, and usually it's the same reasons as the rest of us that are doing it more, just more publicly. Our, uh, our IT guys down at South, they actually, I can't, some, Sarah just told me. Yeah, why is it? Was that supposed to be Sarah and I? Why is this just me? Oh, she. <laughs> not Can for we do lack a of Sarah trying. And I? Not for lack of trying. Oh, then me. I'll take care of it. I'll do it next time. <laughs> she, Sarah. Apparently, she's on the road. Oh yeah, apparently. That's, that's the apparently that's the baseline for her. Yeah. <laughs> but she said that our, our IT guys down there, they uh, I can't remember if it's their voicemail or if it's their email signature or something. But they they in an official capacity have the Have you tried turning a dolphin on again? Nice. Thing. Excellent. And it's like branded. <laughs> I, so I went up the other day, last week, our printer broke in the transfer center, which we <clears throat> offer free printing in the transfer center, transfer <laughs> students. Check that box. <laughs> um, and it wasn't working for like a day and a half. And I didn't mess with it because I had my own, I have my own printer in my office, but then I needed something. And so I went to use it and it wasn't working. So I just leaned behind it and I unplugged it and plugged it back in and I fixed the printer. See, there you go. And all the students were like, wow. And I was like, no, it's control all delete reboot yeah it's like the it should be it's canon <laughs> mm-hmm. you know put that on a stone tablet in front of a, a office building control alt delete reboot <laughs> um so yeah there was a oh i was thinking of a funny thing that like they rubbed off on me is the this example that when i was in you like i feel like i don't know that i could do this now i probably could but my ringtone and when i was director at uits was the death march uh, or the <laughs> the you know darth vader's death march yeah i knew what you because meant it was awesome because then every time i love all of my campus colleagues but like it was a very stressful job <laughs> and so was, then yes, yes. every time somebody would call me to be like hey you access is broken it would be like dun 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 dun, dun. <laughs> hi doctor so and so i'm sorry <laughs> there was there was no lack of I don't know. I feel like trench humor. Yeah, exactly. That's it's not gallows humor exactly, but yeah, trench humor. It's a hundred percent trench humor because you know we're particularly because a lot of us came out of the mosaic projects, you know. So we literally spent three years in the trenches with like in a basement. At one point, all of us together in a room, and by all of us, I mean all of the analysts. Mm-hmm. and all of the technology people in a very, very tiny room. My desk was a six-foot table. I went from, when I got hired here as an admissions counselor, uh, they were remodeling Old Main. So I was sharing an office in AIC, which are those squat little buildings on, uh, I want to say, Cherry and Speedway over there. So like where SASG is, right, is the right. building next to it. So I shared an office in, in that building. And then we moved into these beautiful offices in Old Main, like, 
<laughs> and I was there for about nine months until. So I've changed offices. I counted, I think, 16 times wow. in 13 years. So I went from this beautiful, freshly remodeled office after nine months to a card table <laughs> in the basement of UITS with 30 of my closest friends, <laughs> which they weren't yet. But after you're oh, yeah. all hanging out at card tables in the basement of UITS, Sarah and Brett are decidedly <laughs> two of my absolute closest friends of all time. Mm. And it's because of Mosaic Project. That's, that's very similar to what happened in Ohio. Yeah. I was working in the registrar's office and uh, I was a catalog manager. Oh, nice. I was in charge of the entire undergraduate catalog yeah, for yeah. a university of 20,000 people. Yeah, yeah. fun. Bigger uh, than that, Ohio State? OU, Ohio oh, okay. University. Okay, so, got it. Smaller. And when I say 20,000 people, I mean like the whole thing. Not, it's not students necessarily. Okay, but, gotcha. Um, I got pulled off that uh, because some, something was changing. Like we were changing from quarters to semesters. Something was changing where that job fun. was. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. Too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, My brain immediately goes, policy. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, it was it was transfer credits. That was the, that was the nightmare. Oh, jeez, Louise. Yeah. It was horrible. But, anyway. we, but I, then I got put in this position because when we were doing that, we were going quarters to semesters and we were changing to PeopleSoft from an older SIS at the same time. Awesome. Which, yeah, lots, lots of fun. That's good. And they did the same thing with us. They put like a like us, our core group of people. Yep. I was a student system testing analyst. That was my job. Nice. So I got to I got to go in there and try to break it, yeah, which was a lot of fun. And then document. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then document, yeah, yeah. And make training materials and stuff, which is what brought me here. Yeah. But they had us, uh, they took us out of our offices from like, they just plucked us from all over campus and threw us in a building that was halfway across town. Yep. And was an old ballet studio. Yep. Because it was so, cheap. Well, basically. <laughs> so like, I don't even, I can't even remember if they put carpet down, but the place had like acoustics like this without the acoustic treatment. Oh, know? so there so were no was, secrets. No. <laughs> That's why everybody had their headphones on, yes. even to talk to one another next to each other. Nice. <laughs> you were IMing. Yeah. yeah. So not, not much has changed now that I think no, about it. No, not one bit. And you know what? There's definitively, like, I seriously doubt anybody's like, I don't know, just figure it out. There's legit psychology to that. I have zero doubt about that. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, the, the fusion of that. Because, you know, I, I like to believe, and I think this is true, that they made a very conscious decision because at the time we, they did the Mosaic Project, we were in, we still hadn't gotten rid of the CIS from the last time we got rid of the CIS. <laughs> so we were using two different student information systems, wow. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The functional offices were incredibly siloed. So to be a student, you had to go from A to B to C to D because nobody could help you because nobody mm. could really see each other's stuff in a, in a meaningful way. Mm. And so they wanted to just force all of these offices that, you know, we're communicating on a survival level to sort of form these, you know, relationships yeah. so that when they were configuring the system and making decisions for this new system that was legitimately going to get rid of those other ones for once and for all Apparently. that we were actually having. Because, you know, PeopleSoft is a very waterfall-based mm -hmm. uh, data structure. Very. So if you tank one thing, you tank everybody else's stuff. Yeah. And so you can't have people in silos. You can't have people territory managing. They have to actually talk to each other. So shove them in a basement with card tables and <laughs> potlucks every 32 mm. seconds. And suddenly they're all fat and happy and <laughs> talking to each other. I forgot about the potlucks. Oh, God, nonstop food. So much. Just nonstop. And the thing is, is that we had, it was like, it was so amazing because then we would hire these consultants. Mm -hmm. And so then it was really like global potlucks. Exactly we had food that, yeah. from everywhere, all over the country and all over the world. 
and it was just not, and then the the actual cons- implementation consultants had like budget for days so they would <laughs> keep us constantly stocked in like cheese puffs and well then they're living out of a hotel room oh you know because they ch- are put up here and fly home on the weekend yeah and yeah, that so what another else, what one, are you gonna do <laughs> and that was we were lucky in admissions that our consultant to this day is a really good friend of mine too like mm-hmm. they just like it was like that's never gonna happen again that was a, a euphoric little thank god because the project itself was hell yeah. <laughs> Anything that big with that many moving parts and that much pressure. Yeah. Because that's like a hundred. Th- you you might remember like the because the, the, you're not just dealing with current students. Data. Nope. You're dealing with the students data from the graduated last year and the year before that and the year before that. And you're going dealing back with the, students the beginning that, of time. that aren't here yet either. Exactly. Like you're having to think of that for like future students and consciously trying to do it in a way that isn't. Well, we we've always done it this way. Like. Mm fighting that battle sort of uphill 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 and sort of really in like sometimes the system just doesn't do that so you have to think of is this a process we actually need which is a really fun conversation then you get to write an integration exactly <laughs> which is going to break and every time you update the system do it vanilla <laughs> no, nobody did <laughs> vanilla is not a thing vanilla no. is a yeah vanilla is a thing like it's a thing at starbucks it's just a chemical that everybody's calling vanilla that's <laughs> So, yeah. That's a great metaphor. I'm going to take a drink so I stop sounding like Terry Gross. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) More Ophabia, less Terry. (laughs) There's a bumper sticker for you. (laughs) Seriously. Oh, that was one of my other favorite things to come out of the project that I have to this day. And I'm totally babbling. Is this what we're supposed to be doing is babbling? Um, There is no script. Okay, perfect. Um, I, and it's, my favorite part of this is that it has happened organically again. So the running joke among, so when I was managing all the analysts for student administration, kind of their little running joke was that I was Leslie Nope, like all the way. (laughs) I am Leslie Nope. And so my teammate actually had made me, because it was during, gosh, it would have been the, where are we at now? 20, I have to do the math. So it was the 2012 elections. She made me bumper stickers that said no podge. And so I had like these four <laughs> bumper stickers that said no podge, but it's got like the little Obama logo on the middle. And it's like the tag on one of them was like better than Eagleton. Do you watch Parks and Rec oh, at all? Absolutely. Okay. So I've like, my friends make fun of me. Um, like I, I, I hold this show to a probably an unrealistic psychological standard. Like it's my thing that like if I'm having an anxiety attack, I put on Parks and Rec mm. because my brain, it's really probably aside from maybe like the right amount of Jameson, it's the only time my brain is like, you know what? I will. You enjoy this for a while. <laughs> I'm just going to step back. I'm going to step back and let you just enjoy this. Um, so I'm a little bit of a Parks. And I'm just convinced it's just a perfectly crafted season two on, by the way. Uh, perfectly crafted yeah. show. Don't no, I, bother season one. I get that. You got ju- to jump past that. Um, so anyway, now in the transfer center, my student workers a couple weeks ago were like, Oh my God, you are so Leslie Nope. Like I hadn't said anything. <laughs> I didn't have my bumper stickers up. And side note, I then craved waffles for about two weeks and I finally just had some waffles last week. But yeah, and I, I see it on some levels. I am not a hoarder. I am actually a little OC, <laughs> OCD, but yeah, I can see some parts of it. Yeah, I can see it. My favorite episode is when she sleeps for three hours and then she's like ready to go. <laughs> you know, she actually gets three hours of sleep and then she's like, I have so many ideas. And I'm like, I feel that. I definitely like if I can get a solid eight hours, I probably could be running the world by now. And you don't. I don't want to run the world or sleep for eight hours. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's the only thing holding me back. I do love that show. Ugh. It's it, I, I binged it a few years ago. And I think that the love of... Just the of, whole thing. Yeah. Oh, I... I, I 
that's cute. I just got done binging it for like the fourth time. <laughs> well, <laughs> like it's not a competition. Like, I, it's not. I know. No. No. <laughs> You're right. Damn it. What is wrong with me? Um, and I think that like the Ron Swanson love is understandable, but I feel like that's the more easy way to go. Like he is funny mm. and he makes me laugh. But I that's what I love about that show is that I feel that. Donna is just as strong of a character as Ron, as is Tom, as is, as is. It's just, it's a, I, that's, like, I think if I actually get into the dynamics of it, maybe I should be teaching a class on this. <laughs> it's, the reason why that show works is that it's very rare that you find a show where the the entire cast is just sort of, to me, like, longitudinal, latitude, anyway, they're all equally strong. Mm -hmm. Like, sorry about that. They're all equally strong characters equally strong in the way they're written and equally strong in the way that they're acted. Mm. And in terms of the Bechdel test, just forget about it. I mean, <laughs> I think that's the thing I love about it is that it's an even ensemble where there is a many strong and really lovely and unique ways female characters as there are males. You know, they, and they still mm -hmm. handle, everybody has relationships and love interests and all that stuff, but even the way they handle those narratives don't feel sort of reductive. So there's my Parks and Rec thesis. <laughs> so there's my TED Talk. <laughs> yeah, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Yeah, exactly. See, Jess, you're not the only one. No. no. <laughs> oh, did she say that too? Well, no, we, oh. we were, I was promoting her TED Talk oh. that hadn't come out when we did the recording. Oh, Roger, but Roger. Has since oh, yeah. released. Yes, yeah. sorry. I was super fixated on the your conversation about... Um, about how your guys' boy, this is going to take a turn. Uh, about how your guys' <laughs> dad's death sort of, uh -huh. you know, knocked your narrative, yeah. your your arc. What is that? The strand theory, your seven strands, it jumped you to another strand. Because mm. that's kind of how I think about it is that I've got my seven strands too, and I'm sort of jumping around them on like a harpsichord. And like <laughs> when my dad died, that definitely knocked. Mine's kind of the inverse that uh, it knocked me onto a different strand where I stayed for about 13 or 14 years. On some levels, to varying degrees, I think I slowly crawled my way out of it. Mm. Um, and then, like when I hit, I'm a lady of a certain age. Uh, when I hit my 40s, <laughs> I don't know what happened. Like I just like immediately woke up and just kind of, in a very um, jarring way, like jumped back to the strand from 13 years ago and realized that I wasn't, you know. So it's interesting mm. to me that I had this del almost delayed effect. Like my dad's death scared me, and it launched me into sort of being a fearful person. And then I have that same experience. Yeah. And yeah, then I yeah. feel like I slowly like I say that. But like if I look at my sort of, you know, history, I, I was still taking a lot of big risks. Mm. You know, I think what it did is it taught me to be a scared person who was still willing to take risks, but not without having 15 backup plans first. Mm. You know, I got really flipping good at risk assessment. It's one of my strengths, like in a very short amount of time. I can take a look at a situation and decide how much risk I'm willing to take in that situation and, you know, what are the, how I'm going to knock risk down and then I can move forward. And I think that that's what my dad's death taught me. The other thing it taught me is that really terrible things can happen to you and you, whether you like it or not, you, you keep going, which I think makes me better at taking risks and risk assessment as well. Probably. But I still, like, wore the skin of somebody I wasn't out of fear for a long time. You know, you sort of prioritize things that aren't actually your priorities. And then out of that fear. Yeah. Like these sort of superficial nominal things give me this aesthetic sense of safety. You know? I like that. That, And then I just kind of woke up one day and was like, mm, no, this is not right. And I took a lot of action I'm not going to go into. <laughs> <laughs> but I do, I do, yeah. I. So, But it's interesting because I, I was young too. I was 27. Mm-hmm. 
and you were how I Jess was 19. was 19 you were 19, was, 19. was just or, just was also 19 wasn't she? I was 18 or 19 I think I was 19 yeah so you guys were also super young yeah. you know I'm lucky that I at least I was just you know I didn't bother to do the get married have kids and all that stuff until later so I, same here. it's kind of arrested <laughs> development you know yeah so same deal so yeah. that's the kind of math your brain likes to do just to be an asshole is like he will never know your children. He will never know your spouse. He will never know this. He will never know that. And then I like the good news is you can finally get over that. It took me a long time, but you can finally, you can get over that. Yeah. I, I, I recognize that idea of you make some decisions because you think that's, that's how you would like yourself to look to other people. Oh, yes. That's like you, you make yes. a decision because you, that's the ideal version of you that you would like to present. I mean, nailed Even it. Even if it doesn't make you happy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, there's, we, it's the shouldas. I mm. should be doing this. And this is as this person that I think I am, you know, and I, I, I feel like a tangible example of that is like the thing that always freaks me out in this, I'm, I'm coming back. I'm going to, I'm going to go away for a minute. I'll come back. Is that, um, it's the whole idea of you never really know how you look. Like when I look in the mirror, I still know that the, the reflection I'm seeing is still my perception mm. of that reflection. And oh, I know yeah. that sounds funky, but then go take a look at a picture of yourself. And when I look at pictures of myself, they don't look anything like the reflection in the mirror because my brain is adjusting that and making its own thing. And I think that on a grander scale, we kind of do that with our personas. Mm -hmm. You know, then it's, it's really hard to look at a picture of your persona and see kind of the, you know, but also, you should, because there's a lot of flippin' beauty in who you actually are, for good and for bad. And it's sort of, I think the lifetime pursuit is sort of building a bridge between those two things successfully in, in a way that doesn't make you batty. And being honest with yourself. Yeah. Yeah, just, because th there is a certain level of, or a certain amount of lying I think we do. Uh, nonstop. To ourselves on a daily basis. Nonstop. Some of it's survival, but yeah, yeah. nonstop. You know, and, and I, sorry, go ahead. No, you go. I was going to circle back to the dad thing briefly because I think I think you even commented on this. I think the biggest thing that helped with that whole, you know, stuff you're not because my dad and I were insanely close. Mm. I mean, who I am is because of who he was. Um, I mean, I, I deserve a little credit, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, I think you probably do. Maybe a little bit, but like he <laughs> he certainly gave me the foundations. Um, and the, I talked about this on Facebook. So I have my two boys. I have a nine-year-old and a five-year-old, and they are just they are their own people in like the most wonderful ways and I see a reflection of my relationship in my dad and my relationship with my kids in that like the nicest thing my dad ever said to me in my whole life was that he liked hanging out with me mm. that he's like you know I would I would like you even if you weren't my daughter <laughs> and we used to just hang out you know he was a, uh, a route man so we'd go load his truck and I'd help him load books and magazines into his truck and we'd mm. shoot the shit and solve all the world's problems for three hours and then go home and have dinner you know and that's just that was our relationship and I'm starting to have that relationship definitely with my nine-year-old but it's growing with my five-year-old and that really caused a light bulb for me that I still have a relationship with my dad. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get all. Um, in that, when I'm having interactions with my kids, it immediately forces me into the, the context of thinking about how, oh, that's why my dad said that. Mm. Or that's why my dad behaved that way. Or, I, you know, finding myself saying the things that I say to my kids that he said to me for good and for bad. And just sort of realizing that. I'm developing this deeper understanding of who my dad was as a person. And it sucks that it's not, you know, two-way. Right. But I still get to continue understanding him even though, you know, he died 15 years ago. Right. Which is kind of, or longer than that. Let's, let's pretend it was. Yeah, no, it was 15. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Math. We love it. <laughs> like one of my favorite stories is I was, I had really hardcore childhood anxiety. So that's all fixed. 
Clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I had this teddy bear, which is his own story. And my dad, to help me with my nighttime anxiety, was like, you know, because we weren't religious. So he was like, instead of like praying and stuff like that, he would say, talk to the teddy bear's name was Grog. I don't, you're too young to know DC Comics, but it was this. I'm not too young to know DC Comics. You know DC Comics? (laughs) So Grog from DC Comics. I was obsessed with DC Comics as a kid because I was totally normal. Um, And so I named my teddy bear, as six years old, I named my teddy bear Grog. And so he would say, talk to Grog and ask, you know, ask Grog for what you need to feel better. And so I would. And so flash flash forward, my nine-year-old has really intense childhood anxiety. Mm. Um, Luckily, I believe in therapy. So we got him into it. And it is actually all fixed. Um, But I also gave him Grog. And I had the same conversation with him. And the he, actual bear? The actual, I still have Grog. Oh. Um, and he sleeps with them. He would love me sharing this with everyone. <laughs> well, make sure you download the MD3 <laughs> and keep it for his 16th birthday. So he still Look sleeps with you. Grog. <laughs> and he does the same thing. He talks to Grog every night. And it totally worked just like it did when I was a kid. I, th- I mean, I'm not a psychologist by any stretch of the imagination, but it sounds perfectly reasonable. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like channel that stuff over there. Yeah, yeah. And if, I mean, it's, well, we won't go into that. Well, we'll just leave it at... There are icons, and if you believe in, mm. if you put the right amount of belief into an icon, it can make you feel better. Yeah. The end. I mean, <laughs> I, I, yes. And that's all we're going to say about that. <laughs> oh, my God. No, I think that, yeah. I mean, like I said, I, cu- I couldn't tell you the psychology behind it. Yeah. Or pathology, if you want to flip it around. But, yeah. I mean, I've... I've probably done that to some extent with something There's, at some I mean, point. We all have ritual. Yeah. You know, like the, 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 whether you're cognizant or not, you have things that you do every day that are part of your sort of network of feeling like the world is up is up, down is down. Mm. Here's what I do. You know, there's your morning routine is, if you have one, is ritual, you know, and, mm-hmm. and if you stray from it, whether you realize it or not, sometimes it can, you know, swing you left or right without realizing it. And this this recording is eating seriously into my morning routine. Oh, <laughs> which well, is mainly your fault. Drink coffee and answer <laughs> emails until about ten. <laughs> oh my gosh! So yeah, and I there is definitely there's happiness and safety in ritual. I have my own little things that I do that just sort of you know they just feel right and it feels comfortable and it's validating too. Like that whole sort of notion of who we are and that mm. perception of who we think we are versus who we really are you know i think that the ritual can sometimes bridge that for you a little bit too because you're doing the things you're supposed to be doing but that inherent that ritual is likely developed out of the inherent of who you actually are right and there was um i can't remember the author uh, but somebody wrote a book about the morning routines of, of famous people throughout history like kafka or mostly authors and creative types yeah know? yeah yeah so there was like, you know, Franz Kafka and his, well, not even morning routine, just daily schedule, you know, and uh, Murakami and all these, you know, fantastic authors. And it, it made me think, and I think maybe it made me think this because I read it in the thing, I don't know, or maybe, you know, I'm, I'm just going to say I'm smart and it came to me. <laughs> but it, this, this idea that, you know, at what point does routine become ritual? Oh, yep, yeah. yep. Because Murakami... Uh, swims when he's writing a book like he gets up at four o'clock in the morning or something and swims for two hours and then writes yep yeah and that to me is more than a routine yeah yeah because it's necessary to the process right and something happens in your brain chemistry and it gets you set in that mood exactly and then you can do the thing yep uh sunday morning records and coffee it's a ritual that makes me be like (laughs) You know what? We're good. Everything's fine. I see the pictures on Facebook. Or Parks and Rec. 
Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so yeah, or the I think one of the rituals for me is camping. So like I have a system for camping that I am, you know, I am I'm the most disorganized, organized person you'll ever meet. <laughs> um, and so I, um, I have like I have my camping ritual of how I sort of pack the things, get that ready, and how I set up camp. And it just like it is mentally the ritual of setting up the packing and then setting up the camp is how I mentally sort of divest myself of the not camping world. Hmm. You know, like you're driving there and you're talking and everything's fine, and, but you're still thinking about, oh, I I did I forgot to pay the water bill and hmm. I got to make sure I get a scheduled dentist appointments and blah 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 blah. And then just the ritual of being forced to organize the way I set up camp and unpack camp makes me focus on that so that by the time I'm done, I'm present. I'm oh, present in the camping. That's exactly the word I was thinking of. Yeah. Being present. Yeah. So the ritual of unpacking, you know, helps me do that. And it's not just a routine. It is truly a ritual. Like there's mm. a way that this needs to be done. And anybody who camps with me knows that they kind of stay out of my way because they benefit from it. Because then they end up with like... <laughs> Delicious meals and a warm place to sleep. That's nice. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it makes me think of multitasking because they yeah. say you know there is no such a thing as multitasking. Right. It's just doing a whole bunch of stuff poorly at the same time. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's true. It, it just your brain can't do it. Yeah, and I as I get older, I definitely own to that. Like I used to brag about how no, I could type and talk to you at the same time, but now as I get older, either I am losing <laughs> the capability or just being more honest about the fact that I never had it. Yeah. Like, and this isn't about priorities. It's not that this is more important than you. It's just I literally cannot do both. Let me finish time. this paragraph. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because then you re go back and read the email you're sent and you're like, oh, my God, I'm an idiot. <laughs> like, when did this turn into my shopping list? <laughs> that, I actually, so I applied for my doctorate um, and I won't find out till December. But um, I, you know, I labored over the this personal statement for just a stupid amount of time. You know, where mm. you're just, you're staring at it too much. And so... I have my risk assessment, uh, my behavior when I come to that is usually like most people would just put it away, walk away from it and come back to it. Okay. But I have to admit that I have an impetuous streak that is a little dangerous. And so no. my reaction in that moment was, you know what, I'm done with this. It's good enough and sent it off. But by the way, I'd worked on it for like two months. Like it was, it was fine. And I found like an A that should have, but I went back afterwards and I found like an A that should have been an N. Mm. And the problem with me then is that I didn't do a proper <laughs> risk assessment because I, I'm definitely convinced that will be the reason I don't get into this doctoral program. I think you'll be fine. Because they'll be like, mm, this girl cannot write. I think you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. But actually, this, that's funny. It makes me think um, I do the orientations yeah, for yeah. the new students. Yeah. I think I went to four, I think, in the fall, this fall. We drove up to Chandler. Are you doing the transfer ones or? The South. The South ones. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, so, that I mean, would so make technically, sense. yes, they yeah. are yeah. all transfers. Um, but that's one of the things I tell students is similar to that, that when you're writing something, I was like, because you're going to do a lot of writing over the next two years, probably more than you've ever done in your life and probably more than you will do after this. When you are writing, don't use Word. You know, because that's going to give you a false sense of security. Yep. You're going to think, well, it doesn't say that's wrong, so it must be right. Right. And that's not how it works. Nope. If you do have to use Word, turn off grammar check, turn off spell check. And after you're done writing it, make a copy of it or something. like just Or change all the font size, change all the font, change the margins, change the spacing. Make it look as differently as you can to when you wrote it. Because what happens when you're writing is that you kind of, you, you stop seeing individual words and you start seeing chunks. Yeah. 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 And you think, well, that's that's that, that's that, that. And you don't see the details anymore. But once you physically change how it looks, 
you that pattern is gone. You're forced to reckon with it. Well, it's that little yeah. test where they like take every other letter out of a sentence and you can still read the sentence. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just pattern recognition. My addendum, my addition to that would be to also know your weaknesses. So mm. like I know I'm very bad when I'm writing about um, sur sur superfluous thens. I use then more than I need to. So when I'm <laughs> writing, I'll do a control F for then. And I'll go look and assess every single then in my writing to see if it's That's a necessary smart. one. Then That's and smart. then. I'm really bad about those words. And like my niece was really bad about um, honestly. <laughs> like she would start every <laughs> sentence with honestly. So I was like, you need to go do a control F for honestly. Like we believe you. Yeah. <laughs> when, like one of my pet peeves is when people start sentences with, in my opinion. Well, yeah, who, like why? Yeah. yeah, that's the baseline. Yeah. If it's not your opinion, make that distinction. <laughs> According like pin to. pin number. It's the, it's the verbal equivalent of pin number. <laughs> the one that I always struggle with. I'm a curmudgeon. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we all are. You yeah. have to be to work here. <laughs> the, I struggle with that and which. Yeah. I always struggle with that because yep. I feel like. Yes, yes, yes. Actually, I thinking I, I, about I want to yes. use which, but it's actually, it should be that. Yeah. And I, I use that and I think, well, it has to be which. But then I remember, like, there's which uses a comma in front of it and that doesn't. I think uh, that's cute because I wouldn't even know that. Mm. I think that people will get really disappointed when they know me because they assume, <laughs> based on my personality, that I'm somehow highly proficient in grammar. Uh, I'm not going to use the grammar N-word. Um, Nazi, I guess, is the N-word I meant by that. I should, <laughs> I should really clarify that. Um, because I'm not. I'm, mm. I'm, I, that's my sister. She's the English lit major. Mm. I was a history major. You know, my professors weren't paying attention to my grammar. They're paying attention to my content, mm. you know. And so I'm surprisingly <laughs> bad at grammar um, and geography. People are also very surprised by that with the history degree that I'm surprisingly bad at geography. <laughs> but I, you know, I did good. I got my degree. Can, <laughs> You're like, hey, I got the degree. I'm I can be bad. social historian. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, okay. yeah. well, I'm so just to warn you, I don't, I don't know where the comma goes. And I always hesitate <laughs> on, I had a friend tell me that uh, they could tell how old I was because I would double space after the, a period. Oh, jeez. Did you see maybe, are you on Twitter? Only, I, I only got a Twitter account to follow Neil deGrasse Tyson and for when I'm at conferences. Okay. Well, I don't know, maybe a month ago, maybe a month ago, something fairly recently, the higher ed Twitter kind of exploded because there was an argument about is the double space anachronistic can we get rid of it and half of twitter says yeah kill it yeah it doesn't serve a purpose anymore yeah the other half says no it does serve a purpose you need to keep this there are reasons for this and it was just like the Hatfields and the McCoys. It was amazing <laughs> to watch. Those are like the kind of arguments fire. I want to watch, actually. <laughs> I don't want to watch the arguments that are happening, not on Twitter, happening on BBC. So you got to get on Twitter. I want to watch the double sides. I don't know. Be there. Um, like, my thing is, my, my guilty pleasure is BuzzFeed. And so I just <laughs> rely upon BuzzFeed to tell me the good tweets. I know. I saw that one. <laughs> like I'm queen. Like that is that is also my medicine. Like uh, just you know I'm I'm queen of the two things I go seek out every Friday are the funny tweets by women and good doggos. <laughs> Those are the two BuzzFeed articles I go find every Friday, and I hit my reset button to enjoy the weekend. <laughs> like smart women and dogs. Nice. That's all I need. That's all I need. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I have. That's that's <laughs> that's my that's life a right good there. that's a perfect world. It is really. Yeah. yeah. So I like the good doggos. I have a good, I have a not so good doggo, but I can appreciate other people's oh. good doggos. You have a cat now, too. I have two cats. I oh, don't know right. how this happened. I was raised in a two cat household, and I <laughs> two cats proclaimed and three eyes. to hate cats. Yeah, two cats, three eyes, <laughs> and five chickens. Don't forget the chickens. Gotcha. 
So not not related to the three eyes. Then. Not related the to the three eyes. No, the chickens <laughs> had nothing to do. Although I have a friend that is terrified of chickens because she said the, they used to try to poke her eyes out. So she's like, don't get chickens. They're really aggressive. And I'm like, what? And then I had it. It didn't try to poke my eyes out, but I have a chicken bully <laughs> that's bullying my favorite chicken. So they Some might guy. be Thanksgiving dinner. I'm not going to lie. No, I'm joking. I would never kill a chicken. Something about work. Tucson. Something about Tucson. What do you mean? So many people have chickens for pets here. It's a, I mean, the thing Urban is. Urban chicken. I'm straight farming. up do it for the eggs. I, yeah. I do. And I mean, I also enjoy just, it's just a thing, you know, it's just kind of fun to, maybe it's my Midwest coming out. <laughs> Not that I was raised on a farm, I was raised in an apartment building. Um, but I don't know, like I just, the idea of chickens was appealing to me, but also the eggs. I, it's kind of a sweet thing to like, I, you know what, it falls to it. I have, I have yet another theory. <laughs> we are tactile humans. And so in our modern life, we don't, a lot of us, a good bulk of us, especially in higher ed, we don't get to physically produce anything. Like you mm. produce educated students, yay! So you kind of have that you can point to, but on your day to day, like you're not making widgets and you're right. not like growing crops and you're not sort of doing those things that I feel like is still somewhere inherently in our DNA the need for that to be an individual contributor in some form or fashion. Mm. And so I think that we all pursue hobbies like podcasts and for me chickens and cooking and sewing and stuff like that because it, it scratches that itch. So I think chickens scratch the itch of like, I'm a farmer. <laughs> you know, I'm totally not. Like for the longest time I had these plants overtaking my garden and I was so excited about all the strawberries I was gonna have and then I realized they were tomatillos from the person that used to own my house. Uh, so I thought I had this giant strawberry patch and it turns out I have a giant tomatillo patch, which is great. Yeah, if you're looking for tomatillos. But I don't use tomatillos to the same <laughs> veracity that I use strawberries. So are we at time? Uh, just, I didn't need to leave my class, okay. but I'm always here okay. to uh, finish it. All right, so. I look forward to seeing you in the transfer center. Uh, yes. <laughs> I will so, try. So you're doing a little switcheroo in the studio here. There is but no try. Speaking of the transfer center. Yes. Um, just to bring us, just to bring us back. God forbid. <laughs> um, there's, you, you told me about a week because I, I feel like we should plug something. We should plug, we should definitely <laughs> plug this. Um, it's only two years old. Uh, it's the National Association for Transfer. I don't know. It, I can't remember the name right now because I could. I couldn't even remember Neil Conan, um, which it's is early. a measure. Um, <laughs> so it's National Transfer Student Week, and it's next week, and it's just basically a national recognition of transfer students as a whole. And universities are encouraged to really do something about it. So. Because I am in the Transfer Center, and I am the director of the Transfer Center, I felt like I should too. So we're gonna do fun things. We're doing like, um, the thing I'm breaking my arm, patting myself on the back for is uh, just a little campaign of famous transfer students. Um, you know, there are these false perceptions about transfer students ad nauseum. Mm -hmm. um, and so I thought like a famous person, because the thing that we really struggle with in trying to provide services to transfer students is a lot of times after they transfer here, they want to divest themselves of that moniker and be mm -hmm. just a student. And so they don't want to do things for transfer students. You know, like your student here is a junior by now. So he's probably been here for a year and a half or so. And mm -hmm. he doesn't think of himself as a transfer student anymore. So he's not going to use our resources. Um, and we want to sort of break through that and say, no, you know, hold on to that moniker because it actually does mean something. Also, you get services, by the right. way. Free stuff. You can't, can't complain about that. So, like, here's a <laughs> fun list of famous transfer students. My personal favorite is Barack Obama It was a transfer student. John F. Kennedy was a transfer student. Kissinger, transfer student. Margaret Mead, transfer student. Morgan Freeman. 
quite the list. The, 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 there is quite the list, but it, what's interesting to me is that it's hard. I don't know. This could speak to any facet of society, but there's not a ton of females. There's uh, Martha Stewart, Margaret Mead, and uh, uh, oh my God, I'm losing her name too. Sarah Palin is probably one of the more famous ones. I wonder what the I'm not putting her. On the transfers. <laughs> I wonder what the reasoning is. There's, there's. I mean, aside from just. Just, it's women hard to recognize famous women, apparently. Uh, yeah, I yeah. mean, aside from that, I wonder if there's, yeah. well, there's something to that. Yeah, and the thing is, is that demographically, women have, you know, for the most part, been seeking higher education for, you know, I mean, if you, if you, in, we'll say in the 20th century, hmm. the levels of attendance are sometimes even more skewed towards women in higher education. So there should be at least in the 20th century of famous people. And even in the 19th century, you know, you don't really start getting to this sort of education and equity until, well, I mean, I guess there was some of it still in like the early 20th century. But I, I you know, I, I don't know. I'm talking myself out of this. Anyway, not a lot of famous <laughs> transfer women, and that's unfortunate. So a lot of the ones that we're highlighting are men. Hmm. Um, but I think it's important to that. And then I very purposely chose the moniker, I am a transfer student. So like John F. Kennedy is a transfer student. He wasn't hmm. a transfer student. That's, he is yeah. a transfer student. You know, hold on to that. Yeah, that's good. I like that. And I think that what it refre- reflects demographically right now is that they're just smarter. You know, I love four-year education. Obviously, I've worked in higher for 20 years. And I think for the right people, going when you're 18 or going straight into a four-year, actually, there there are some people for whom that works really well. Mm-hmm. Or there are really good reasons to do that. Um, but I think that the rise in transfer students that we're witnessing is just that this generation of students are just economically m- more smart than we are and just more interested in or thinking about the long game in terms of those things. And so I think having a transfer moniker is a sign of merit and impressiveness that, you know, you sort of made Mm. that conscientious conscientious decision to go fulfill some of your requirements at a cheaper rate, not have to dive into the financial aid pool right away, you know, maybe stay close to home, dip your toe in the water and make sure this is right for you before, you know, fully investing in your education. And I think that's kind of rad and it should be celebrated. It it really should. Sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, The only other thing I would add is that it's the demographics speak to that. Like most people assume transfer students are, you know, in their late 20s, early 30s, but the, uh, like, at my transfer center, the average age is 25. And that's average. Mm, you know, I have yeah. lots of 21-year-olds, 20-year-olds, 21-year-olds, 22-year-olds. Um, and that's why the thing bugged me, too, because my, demographically, they're evenly split 50-50 men, women. Like, a hun- like literally, I think it's 51%, 49%. Wow. Male, female, that we're serving in the transfer center. Which, I love that, too. Yeah. It, it makes me think back to my four year because I, I went to OU mm-hmm. for my undergrad. Well, for everything really, but it. If, I don't know. Maybe it lends itself to why it. It seems almost natural to do a transfer, kind of quote unquote halfway through. Mm-hmm. You know, which I guess you know, A, A S or whatever, and then right go finish the bachelor's. But yep. even at the four year institution, I was there all four went. Dorms two years, houses. And you did it in four? Well, I went straight into grad school, so maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) Well, I went summers too. Yeah. And I I actually had way more credit hours than I needed, but I I took a lot of extra classes just because I I took nanotech and quantum mechanics just because I was interested in it. I'm here, I'm going to have fun. Yeah, exactly. But it it felt like a sea change. Like the, the first few years, freshman, sophomore, feel like one period. Yep. 
and then the junior senior feel like a different period yep. like different experience different classes because you're doing all the general ed stuff first and just kind of trying to get that liberal edu- you know, liberal arts education down we're carving you all, into adults yeah, the first two years and then it's all well, for <laughs> me it was all you know education methods courses and yep. literature courses and stuff but so now imagine that you did that except that you also completely switched into an entirely new culture mm-hmm. a giant one not like anything else that you had previously experienced. So, and you did it successfully. So that's another good reason to celebrate the transfer moniker because that's not an easy thing to do. Mm -hmm. So when you you do make the decision to do that, talk about taking risk. You know, like students coming from Pima where all their classes are in one building sometimes, well actually, or all five campuses, but very much smaller classes, very much an entirely different culture to just dropped in the middle of this, which is why transfer grad rates nationally are not fantastic. Mm And the one thing, here's my plug, are you ready? Mm -hmm. Uh, The one thing that actually aids in that, so the top three things that aid in increased grad rates for transfer students is, of course, how their courses transfer. Like, if you take a bunch of classes at community college without a long game plan, and you end up taking a bunch of classes that once you transfer here aren't going to be, those nanos aren't going towards your education degree. So it's good you had fun, but (laughs) for the record, I wholly endorse that, by the way. So getting those courses, you know, having a plan, if you know you're going to transfer, having a plan helps that when you transfer, you will graduate. But uh, the campus identity is actually number two, establishing Mm -hmm. a campus identity or a university identity. And that's not wearing your red and blue and being like, yeah, or wearing your transformers, um, (laughs) you know, and going to every football game. It's like that identity of like, it's same as the transfer moniker. It's that I am a University of Arizona student Mm -hmm. and all that that means. Like getting that established quickly lends to your success because then you care about what you're doing you're not just trying if you're just here to get the degree and get out you can do it but you're not going to end up being as successful Um, and then the third thing is establishing those networks because the only way you find out about the resources we have as much as we try to pump it into you you know the only time where you're really going to find them point in time when you need them is by having a network of humans they can be like oh you know who you should talk to about Mm -hmm. that so that's what the transfer center does because in your freshman and sophomore year, as you're also learning about your gen eds and sort of learning how to be in a classroom and how to take notes and how to study and how to time management, you're also getting those networks. You know, and transfer students don't, they have to start completely over. And so right. we have to expedite that process as much as we can. And so that's why a transfer center exists, is to sort of be the nucleus, the hub to help students do that. I tell my students, the minute you walk in our door, you immediately have something in common with every single person in the room. Where else are you doing that? you know, in the university. I mean, there are other places, I shouldn't say that. Um, But not only that, you have this really magical tool that no matter how introverted you are, you have this sentence, where did you transfer from? Mm -hmm. And then the conversation just goes. Yeah, I swear at some point we're gonna end up having a wedding in there, you know, because (laughs) students literally come in and make lifetime friendships there. That's awesome. Yeah. So, and where is it centered again? Transfer Center is in the Student Union, uh, fourth floor. We're open nine to five, Monday through Friday. Awesome. And our big, I mean, we do a lot of cool things like programming, like Jess, our fellow, mm-hmm. took students to the Grand Canyon. And like a couple of weeks ago, we had a Marvel day where we streamed Marvel movies all day and had snacks. And like this weekend, one of our fellows, Bruce, is taking students to Tucson Meet Yourself and we're giving them food coupons. Nice. Or we're taking them to the pumpkin patch in a couple of weeks. You know, so we do programming like that to sort of help mm-hmm. those networks. Um, but we also just have stuff in the center, like free printing is our biggest draw. Like, I think we might actually get your student based on that. <laughs> um, so if you need something printed, you can come to Transfer Center and we have locker rental and we have coffee and I have a fruit bowl because, and it's funny, I was like, I'll do a fruit bowl, but I'll do apples. So then it's not that expensive because I'm paying for this out of my pocket. Uh-huh. 
they go. Like within two <laughs> days, the apples are gone. I'm like, you're not supposed to like apples this much. <laughs> There's a how you like them apples joke in there, I'm sure. Of course. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll put that in the show notes. That'd so. be good. Thanks. So Transfer Student Center. Yep. Main Campus Student Union. Yes. Fourth floor. Fourth floor. And we are sort of on the horizon. I want to recreate this experience for our distance and online students. You know, right now we provide the traditional support that if they email us or call us, mm-hmm. we're going to, we, we help them out. Um, and we do get them. You know, every time we send our emails out, we get the online students that are like, that'd be nice. <laughs> you know? Like, well, you can come. Um, so, you know, I've been talking to Sarah and Josh and, and different people and Susanna about how can we sort of recreate some of this programming mm-hmm. um, for our distance and online students? Like, we're going to add a social component to transfer orientation on campus. So I'd love to see adding social components to distance orientations, you know, sponsored by the Transfer Center. But I want to wait till we have resources that they would want to circle back to before we do stuff like that. Right. And that, that links into us yeah. down at South because that's we are all transfer students at South. Exactly. I say we. Every, all every of student in South is a transfer student. And yeah. like one of the main sort of pathways we would like to do that with is like a peer-to-peer mentoring situation. I think that'd be a great So idea. that like main campus transfer students who've maybe been here for a year, a year and a half can come to your new transfer student and be like, hey, here are the three things you should probably know right now. <laughs> right now so yeah that's that's the first goal i love it yeah well i will link to the transfer center in the show notes and i think we have a hard stop now because you are you have something strategic i gotta go be strategic in my planning oh yes that's right (laughs) well thank you nikki (laughs) i appreciate you coming out i appreciate it i'm glad you enjoyed it uh i wanted to do my uh, but i won't be able to now this was nicholas hodge from ua well you can it's my ophabia quick second i can't i can't my heart's not in it just try it I'll do a disservice to her. You can't, I can't be bullied. I'm an old lady. I can't be bullied. It's the beauty of being old. (laughs) All right. Well, next time. Next time. Next time. If you bring Sarah on, I'll do my ophobia impression. Sarah, you hear that? Yeah. Sweeland. (laughs) Sweeland. I know everybody by their net ID. (laughs) And I just gave away her net ID. That's okay. Just public phone book on the website. Yeah, exactly. All right, cool. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you. All right.